The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Well, it's a time to reflect in Melbourne today, and it's a time to reflect for those of us who hold a special place in our hearts for sporting legends, and indeed, sporting legends who in so many ways are embedded in the fabric of their chosen field, their city, and their country, and Ronald Dale Barassi is certainly that for footy, for Melbourne, and even for Australia as a third-generation Italian-Australian who became one of the most important figures in the history of the game so many of us love. So Ron will today be farewelled at the MCG in a state memorial service with family, friends, and so many of you, I'm sure, getting along to pay tribute to a giant of Australian sport. He lives on as a legend in the Sports Australia Hall of Fame, a legend in the AFL Hall of Fame, and he's a member of the Order of Australia. The event will be a celebration of Ron Barassi's extraordinary life and his contribution to Australian football and the wider community. The memorial service starts at 11am. It will also be broadcast on the 7 Network ad-free. If you're getting along, I'd love to hear from you this morning on the Captain's Run. one 736 736 Sam Edmund with you on this Friday morning. And by the way, we are taking calls today for the all-new, the brand-new Sherry Tigo 7 Pro SUV. Just sorted that car for the first time this morning. Magnificent. Success followed Ron Barassi everywhere. Ten premierships as a player and a coach, including the 1968 drought breaker at Carlton, and perhaps the greatest comeback of them all to steal the 1970 flag. He transformed the game on field. The Ruck Rover was a position largely created by him. He was a fierce competitor as a player and a fierce standard setter as a coach. Give me possessions and I'll shut up. He transformed the game off the field. He was the one who long pushed for the national competition that we now have and ultimately... Thousands will attend today at the MCG because Ron Barassi sits at a table reserved for the precious few. We're talking sporting icons woven together in the culture of the city of Melbourne, whether they were born here or performed feats here that echo through time. So that's Shane Warne, that's Kevin Bartlett, Shirley Strickland, Lee Matthews, Rod Laver, Dawn Fraser, Yvonne Goolagong-Cawley, and I'm sure for you the list goes on and on. And the MCG, of course was the scene of so many of Ron Barassi's finest sporting achievements. It'll be a special occasion from 11 o'clock today down at the mighty MCG. We might, in fact, take a bit of that feed in the final hour of our show here at the Captain's Run between 11 and 12. And it is all for state transport, of course. Our people are your solution. That number, thanks to the Sherry Tigo 7 Pro SUV, one 736 736 Memories of Ron Barassi, if you're getting along to the MCG as well today for that state memorial service, love to hear from you. The 40 Wings Temper text as well, ticking along 0433981116 Temper, a mattress like no other, and you can get your unique bed match profile. Find the right bed for you, 40 Wings. They're serious about sleep. Got a huge McCafe menu as his stock standard on a Friday, but I wanted to start with the cricket. Now, overnight, New Zealand's massive win over Sri Lanka in what was essentially half a game, has all but locked in our semi-final fixtures at the World Cup over in India. So the Kiwis charged down the already eliminated Sri Lankan total of 171 inside 24 overs to give their net run rate a nice little boost and make it now highly unlikely that they can be overtaken in fourth. So only Pakistan and Afghanistan are mathematically a chance of doing that, but they are Hail Mary prospects at best. So the Black Caps are a curiosity, aren't they? Four wins on the bounce to start. 
four losses in a row after that, and then the win last night. But runners-up in the last two editions, they are not a side to be taken lightly, and they will have hosts India on the Wednesday night in the first semi-final. So the winner of that game will get an extra day's rest before the Sunday night final. That's because the Aussies, who have... Their final group game against Bangladesh, 4 o'clock tomorrow, will meet South Africa on Thursday night in the other semi. Two storied World Cup rivals meeting again. Blimey, this will be enormous. Australia have had the wood over South Africa in the majority of their World Cup meetings, but the Proteas are coming in hot. And the memories of that 1999 drawn semi will be brought back up to the surface in the coming days for sure. They did meet in another semi eight years after that. More recently... These two just must be sick to death of each other. So next week's semi-final, by my calculations, will be the seventh ODI played between them in just over a month, as well as the three T20s prior to all of that. Now, Australia didn't play Cummins, Stark, Smith and Maxwell on that tour of South Africa, but this is where the South Africans started building this momentum that they've then carried on into India and their batsmen are in blazing touch, aside, of course, from that 83 all-out against India. But teams batting second have been vulnerable at times in this tournament. It's been a curiosity. I have to say, this World Cup has grabbed a hold of me more than I suspected it would. We had the Ashes. We had a long footy season here, long World Cup format sat in front of us, and yet it's just slowly squeezed a hold of me. I wonder if you're the same, because it's grown on me big time. one 736 736 And maybe a part of that is because the Australian journey has been an incredible roller coaster full of ups and downs and everything in between. And no one has epitomized that more than the enigmatic Glenn Maxwell. And Coach Andrew McDonald spoke of the Victorian's journey overnight. Yeah, I think he stayed true to himself. Um, his creativity is second to none, the way he sees the game, the options that he has. It's the investment that goes into those types of shots over time and you know, the ability for coaches to give him the space to be creative, to then see that eventuate in, in a World Cup game when you need 290 and you're seven down. I mean, all, all that that work that he's put in almost paid off in, in one night and gave us something special. Um, how do I reflect on it's it's an incredible journey. It's, it's not ended for him um, in terms of he's still got, you know, I think people were saying that's his moment. I think there's still moments ahead that he's going to wow and amaze us. Um, oh, you're happy for the player, aren't you? I mean, we all saw him when he walked in. I think Louis might have even been in the squad at that time. And he was a coach's nightmare, really. The, the balls were pinging around everywhere. There was so much error. But over time, he's been able to tighten up that error. His decision-making has improved. And we see the play that we see now. And I think the game's better for it. That was Andrew McDonald overnight. I've got to say, I'm not sure if I'm looking too much into it, but when the camera did cut away to the coach during Glenn Maxwell's ballistic innings the other night, the double ton, was he a bit emotional? Almost looked like he was getting a little bit emotional watching it, but maybe maybe not. Maybe that was, uh, maybe that was something else. I just caught this text uh, that I wanted to read out quickly before we break. Hi, Sam. Can you give a shout-out to AFL boys Jared and Thomas Berry who are running a marathon in support of BCNA, that's the Breast Cancer Network of Australia, tomorrow with their brother Joel and mates Will and Ben. It's called Marathon for Mum to honour the 10-year anniversary 
of the boy's mum are passing from breast cancer. Amazing young men. That's tomorrow in Horsham. I just had a quick look at that. It's on the BCNA website, Marathon for Mum. Um, St. Michael's Oval, I think it might be as well up there. So uh, happy to give that a shout out, of course, um, and all the proceeds, of course, going to BCNA, which is a marvellous thing. Uh, we're taking your calls today uh, thanks to the all-new Sherry Tigo 7 Pro SUV. It's available now from just 39.990 drive away. Our World Cup conversations continue here on the Captain's Run. After the break, Bryce McGain is going to set the scene for the final group game, of course, against Bangladesh tomorrow, a friendly to start time of 4pm, and then, of course, uh, all stakes, everything on the line in the semi-final against South Africa next week. Our cricket conversation with Bryce McGain continues after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Great to have you along on the Captain's Run on a typically busy Friday morning. There's a lot to get to on the McCafe menu, which I'll detail for you. Rene Muhlenstein's going to join us shortly. So the path to the next FIFA World Cup for the Socceroos begins shortly against Bangladesh. It's here in Melbourne. And the assistant coach of the Socceroos is going to join us. Uh, it all starts again for Graham Arnold's men. Mick Ablett, our countdown to the national draft in the AFL. I think it's a defender's turn today, so we'll run through the key backs, the small backs, the media, the rebounders with Mick shortly. Georgia Nanscorn is a fascinating story. Essendon are about to play their first AFLW final on Sunday, and the former hockey roo has had a magnificent season in the engine room for the Bombers after a, a, a first attempt at AFLW with North Melbourne ended swiftly. This is a, a journey of persistence and resilience for Georgia Nanscorn. We'll chat to her later on. Mitch Creek, all things NBL. The throwdown is Sunday, and it is a whopper. 1v3, Melbourne United, South East Melbourne, Phoenix at John Kane Arena. Miles Fitzner, all things racing, of which there has been plenty. And Tom McGuinness, North Carolina Tar Heel punter, will touch base in. Yeah, I liked our little opening conversation with uh, Tommy. Life on campus for a young Aussie over there in the US. Uh, we'll catch up with Tom later on. But for now, all the conversation centres where it has been for much of the past few weeks with the cricket and the World Cup, which is now for the Aussies getting down to the absolute nitty-gritty. It's been a tournament with a lot, and this man's been right across it. Bryce McGain is back with us on SEN. G'day, Bryce. Thanks a lot for your time. Good morning, Sam. And uh, it is the exciting time now, and I... Have said for some time, don't get off the Aussies, and they seem to be warming up pretty well on the back of Glenn Maxwell, don't they? Oh, th- those insane heroics uh, of his the other night of, uh, well, fortunately, I suppose, turned tomorrow's uh, Afghanistan meeting into a dead rubber. Oh, everyone's got a different philosophy on this sort of stuff. I mean, do you do you rest players, Bryce? I mean, listening to Andrew McDonald, he said they won't do it arbitrarily, although they did cancel a, a training session yesterday, I think. Yeah, there's a freshen up for you. Good stuff, Ronnie. Give them a day off, but uh, hopefully they're not going out on the golf course on that day off. We don't want that. We'll put a helmet on Glenn Maxwell. Or maybe better still, we club him over the head because we need him up for the semi final. So the concussion seems like a good prep. But uh, look, it's been amazing. And uh, Australia have just got better and better. And it doesn't surprise, uh, well, it didn't surprise me that they, the more they climatise there, the, the, the better they go. But one of the surprising things, Sam, I think, is that they've never really put together. No. in a football parlance, a four-quarter game. They haven't really nailed every aspect of their game. We're still seeing our top-end fast bowlers be a little expensive and maybe not execute as well as what we've seen in the past. But what we do know is when these guys get to the big game, you know, I'm talking Stark, I'm talking Hazelwood and Cummins, of course, as skipper. Um, you know, we, we do see them knock over top orders, but we haven't quite been able to do that. And it's kind of been left to Adam Zampa spinning away. And I heard Derm, uh, 
in the, in the Brecky show before saying he's nailing his length. And that's exactly right. That is what he's doing. That's why he's hard to get to. That's why he's taking wickets. So um, it, it's a balance of the attack. But I am looking forward to the quicks really firing up and uh, knocking over some top orders in the next few games. I was going to ask you about Zams uh, a little bit later on in our chat, but given you've raised him, I mean, he's taken 20 wickets, uh, Bryce, second most in, in the tournament. Um, he's been... He's been magnificent. I did feel for him the other night when he kept coming up and down the stairs with the, <laughs> with the bat and pads on uh, with Glenn Maxwell doing his thing. But she's with the ball. He's been amazing. Yeah, we know how nerve-wracking that is for all the uh, club <laughs> cricketers out there. Am I in? Am I out? What's going on? Your heart's in your mouth. They're dropping catches and uh, and everything that was going on in that game. But uh, he has been superb. Uh, early on, got really sick. And I don't think we knew the full extent mm. of that. And it turned into... Um, you know, when you're really, really sick and you're aching all over and you're trying to do something. And look, he pushed through that, but uh, wasn't at his best in the first couple of games, but then tuned up and uh, he's been superb. He's one out. Don't, don't forget, he's one out. A lot of the other teams have two or three other spinners, particularly the subcontinental teams, but he's one out for Australia. And he's been um, shouldering the burden, I suppose, of all the spin duties. Maxie's coming for a few overs and we see Trav Head coming on for a few now, but he's our number one and... Uh, he, he relishes that. I like. I think he likes being the man, and uh, he's certainly doing that from uh, the spinner's perspective for the Aussies. So speaking of not feeling well, vertigo. Did you ever you ever had that before? No, I haven't. But people around me um, have, and it, it's really really debilitating. Mm. Um, it, it's uh, nothing worse than and you know, a friend of mine has it, and he said it's like lying in bed, and then your feet like spin over your head, and you feel like you've done a full one eight, and just going, oh, I can't imagine how yeah. ill that'll make you feel. So it, it, it can be really debilitating. I hope they've found the right formula. There are a couple of ways to go about it. So I'm, I'm no physician here, but uh, you can have tablets and, and medication, but there's also some natural remedies that involve sort of a twist and a turn and turning your head upside down and letting the particles in your ear settle down. So hopefully he's been doing both because uh, Steve Smith's pretty important for us, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So he, he would come in. Um, the question I have for you is, I mean, selection's about to become a really delicate topic um, for, for McDonald and his team to, to navigate. So if it is to be Smith, which it almost certainly will be, the next obvious question and the difficult one to answer is who who would make way for him? Yeah, look, it, it is a challenge. At the top of the order, you've got to work your way down. Warner, lock him away. He's going really well. Uh, leading run scorer for the Aussies. Uh, Travis Head, he's our best one-day player and he's getting into some form despite the duck mm. uh, following 100. Um, but uh, he's there. Mitch Marsh, we know his power and his importance at three. And then you've got Labashane and Inglis. Um, Inglis has started. He's had some good innings and he's been hot and cold. His performance has been lumpy after replacing Alex Carey. So um, I think he holds his spot. They're not going to change that. It may be Marnus um, because we absolutely need, in that middle order, Maxwell and Stoinis. We need their firepower. We have to have it. So you can't have another... I guess, accumulated. Now, that's not to say that Steve, Steve Smith can't do that. And it was Greg Shippard that threw him at the top of the order for the Sydney Sixers, um, and he just blew things away in T20. It's a different format. Mm. I think Steve Smith's important, not only for his batting, but his fielding as well. We don't lose anything with Labashane in the field either. So, you know, boy, it's it's a really tough decision uh, to make. Um I, I'm not sure which way to go. I, I'm, what I'm happy with is that the selectors, whatever way they go, they're, they're trusting um, the best players. And it's a nice problem to have where we have uh, eight players that can fit into seven spots. Um, that, that's the way it works. And we've got Green, who took the most of his opportunity as well. So it's really nine players in seven. Um, you know, They can't really get it wrong, I don't think. 
but it really depends on conditions and what they want to do. I don't think they need all the extra medium pace bowling. Yeah, and I mean, we've spoken about this before, and you've spoken of the need to have, you know, to use all of the squad in a long tournament such as this, but not once, for a variety of reasons, have the Aussies been able to call on every player in that squad? Yeah, that's right, and it's been um, it's been a, nearly a bit of an Achilles heel. They did carry Travis Head through. Um, they knew he was only going to be available for the last four games, and so they carried him on the list for five, kept him at home, kept him fresh on the couch, and he's come over... I think he's in really good touch, um, despite the ducking uh, against Afghanistan. But uh, I, I think he's more value also. His, his outfitting's terrific. But his, uh, his spin bowling is underrated. Um, he's going to play a part in the next few games. Hopefully he gets a good go of it uh, in our next game, the last of the, I guess, the home and away, if you like, uh, the last of the round-robin series. But uh, in the semi-final against South Africa, I, I can certainly see him playing a, an important role with the ball for some part overs. But if it's going his way, then you know we can push him up to five, six overs because I think he's really valuable in that role. So just looking ahead to South Africa, which is does that whet the appetite? Another big semi-final oh. and a, and a one-day World Cup. Um, they're two. The Proteus two defeats in this tournament have come batting second. Now we we've seen for whatever reason, maybe it's the weather, long long 50 overs in the field, fielding first, that teams batting second have been vulnerable at times to completely imploding. Um, what have you made of that? Is it coincidence or is there something in it? No, there is, there's certainly something in it. At the beginning of the tournament, the talk was, gee, you, because the dew will come in, the ball will skid mm. onto the bat and batting will become easy. But there is this phase of the game, just as the, the um, artificial light takes over, the sun goes down, the humidity rises. And Australia found this against Afghanistan. That's what blew them away. They're fast bowlers just uh, because it was so difficult to bat in that period. The ball is swinging. It's kissing off the wicket. It, the wicket quickens up, but the ball moves in the air. Um, and with that, just a touch of moisture on there, it can seam around a bit as well. It's proven to be the hardest time to bat at certain venues. I must say that because some venues it's been pretty straightforward. It's stayed, remained dry. Yeah. So it's just that time of year. Australia will need to take that into calculation. They learnt the harshest lesson and, you know, nearly found themselves, you know, flapping around trying to get a semi final spot if it wasn't for Glenn Maxwell. So they've learnt the lesson a few times. I, I, I would like to see Australia get some runs on the board and apply that pressure and bowl with their big quicks in that um, in that key element. And that, that gives our, our fast bowlers their best opportunity as well um, through that period. So I, I think it's a, a definite something against South Africa to have them chasing runs. I think it's going to be very difficult for them. Gee, they've posted some huge totals batting oh, first, oh, yeah. haven't they? Massive. Yeah, and and it's a level of calmness. Um, and that's what I noted uh, early in the tournament. Quinton de Kock's been outstanding. Uh, Aidan Markram's been brilliant. And they've got this lower order firepower. So their top order remains really calm with some good cricket shots. They're not reckless and going mad playing T20 up front. They back end it with a T20 game. So they get through the 30 overs, accumulate as many as they can. If that's a runner ball, you know that they can throw on 200 in the last 20 overs comfortably. And they've done it even more in excess of that mm. because of this um, firepower. Um, they're all Randers, Jensen and, uh, and the like. Um, they're just outstanding. So, they're really dangerous. It's good to see them playing good cricket. Um, 
I wonder if history will, will uh, tell another tale. Uh, Australia, uh, South Africa in a semi-final, uh, another epic game like we saw many years ago would be fantastic and uh, probably you'd get a chance to get Damien Fleming back on to recount a a number of his experiences in that. (laughs) And maybe cramp is the key for Glenn Maxwell. I'll tell you what, when he's effectively paralysed from the waist down, I've never seen anything like it. Just uh, just, uh, like he was on the first um, uh, down at, um, you know, Augusta. It's teeing off repeatedly. It it was phenomenal and one of the best. And it was terrific, like the Australian... Um, players and even Maxi himself just getting out there and just you know I guess sharing what they did and uh, Pat coming mm. saying you know it's credit to Maxi he played his role <laughs> in our partnership you know I like that sort of stuff the yeah. humour that's coming out and uh, there's a picture of, that Maxi put up he said never go full salmon when you're lying on the ground like that so I love all those sort of things the yeah. humour they have in the moments but to overcome that sort of adversity uh, where he was thinking look I'm done here I can't move and the physio giving him the confidence to go well if you stop, you're finished completely. You might as well keep going. And mm. um, it was a moment that, that you know, probably shows uh, the resilience of, of these guys. Um, they gave it absolutely everything and credit to Max. <laughs> it's number one all time. Uh, certainly World Cup. And, you know, we can argue it out in, in one-day cricket history. But... Uh, a great way and another highlight for Maxi in this World Cup, going with his fastest ever 100. Bryce, great to chat. We'll enjoy it from here, I'm sure. We'll do it again soon. Good on you. Yeah, let's settle up, Sammy. Let's enjoy. Monique, beautifully done. Renee Muhlenstein's going to join us shortly. A lot happening in the Socceroos setup at the moment. It feels like only five minutes ago they played Argentina in the round of 16 in Qatar, but they're about to begin the process to the United States, Mexico and Canada. That is the 2026 World Cup venue or venues and uh, their first date with qualification lands next Thursday against Bangladesh. And then they're off to Kuwait to play Palestine. This is where world football takes you. So we'll catch up with Rene shortly. He's been all over the globe, Rene, now with the Socceroos, of course. Uh, Dean's texting about the Cricket World Cup. It was great, but it's been too long. I'm not sure I share that sentiment, Dean. At the start of it, I had my concerns, but it's just been it's been so plot heavy. There's been so much happening over there. It's been pretty compelling, I reckon. And at least in the interest of fairness, everyone plays everyone once. But Dean says should have had more doubleheaders, more on free-to-air TV. Tracy, in regards to Steve Smith's vertigo, and I'm with you, Tracy. I've got a friend who's had vertigo for a long period of time. In fact, has never quite been able to shake it completely. And uh, he has some days where he's really crook. Uh, Tracy says, my daughter has vertigo. Gets it bad. She tells us sometimes it's like being on a boat and it's rocking. She missed so much school because someday she can't even get out of bed. It's nasty, isn't it? Uh, and then this one from Chris. Uh, Sammy, Steve Smith is no way a guarantee to come in. Marnus has been a better performer at this World Cup. And then uh, this one. Why can't they play both Smith and Labashane in the team? And Stornis misses out and Mitch Marsh and Head can bowl his overs. Can you ask Bryce McGann this? Apologies, I only just got that message. I think where Bryce was coming from, though, is it's less about the bowling and it's more about the batting. To have the guys that can go to, you know, fifth and sixth gear with the bat um, in in the middle part of the uh, or later part of the innings that obviously, um, you know, Marcus Stoinis has that firepower where perhaps Manus Labashain does not. Sammy, last night I finally watched the Maxwell highlights. The guy's an absolute freak, but I love the reaction of the players watching. Never seen an Aussie side smiling so much. That's Cam in Churnside Park. You know when you see guys who have seen it all on the cricket pitch reacting the way they do, that you're witnessing something special, and there was a look of genuine um, amazement, wondery at what their teammate was performing at in the middle. Um, 
Uh, good morning, Sam. Talking about Steve Smith. I hope they've given him Stemital. I had about a vertigo in 2017. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I haven't had it since. It is terrible. You only take it when you feel dizzy. Hope Steve gets over it. I know with a lot of people, it can linger. Poor young man. That's from Beverly. Yeah, and listening to Steve Smith, he said he has had cases of it from time to time, but thankfully it's settled down. Hopefully that is the case for him and he can uh, take the wicket tomorrow and then uh, run on into the semi-final after that. Uh, Mick Ablett's going to join us later on, as I say. So it's the defender's turn of the draft. If you've got a draft question, feel free to drop it in the 40 Winks temper text inbox tray 0433981116. We'll centre our conversation today with Mick around the defenders. Georgia Nanscorn as well. AFLW finals time. Mitch Creek, always an entertaining chat. And the South East Melbourne Phoenix are building into this uh, NBL season nicely. Miles Fitzner has been building nicely as well. All things racing and spring carnival. Tom McGuinness, life on campus over there in the US at North Carolina, will be our final order of business thanks to McCafe, our official coffee partner. But up after the break, all things Socceroos and World Cup qualification with the assistant coach, Renee Mullenstein. The captain's run with Sam Edmund. Great to have your company on the Captain's Run. Sam Edmund with you on a Friday morning. Hope your week's been fantastic and you're set up for a great weekend. Certainly the weather is doing its bit as well. And uh, we've got a big McCafe menu to get to uh, throughout the course of the morning. We've got just about everything covered. We've got footy covered, soccer covered, uh, racing covered, cricket covered, basketball covered. But we need to change our tack to world football because fresh off promising friendlies against England and New Zealand, the Socceroos are about to suit up once again as the path to the 2026 World Cup begins. And Australia's journey to the US, Mexico and Canada starts next Thursday against Bangladesh, just around the corner from us here at Amy Park. Renee Muhlenstein's managed all over the globe, including stints at Manchester United and Fulham. He's now an assistant coach with the Socceroos and is with us this morning. Renee, good morning to you. Good morning. So Bangladesh next Thursday. Now, this is the first Socceroos appearance on home soil since, I think, Ecuador back in March. So always a good uh, and great occasion any time the national team plays at home, isn't it? Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> if, you go, if you go back, um, Sam, for the, if you look back to the support that Melbourne gave us, you know, during the World Cup, I mean, turning, turning out in numbers, that was fantastic to see. That was fantastic to see for the players because it gives you that extra motivation and we really hope that uh, everybody's turning up again next week to support the uh, the Socceroos in, uh, in our first World Cup qualifier. So just a bit of housekeeping here, Rena. I was just uh, getting my head around this last night. So this Bangladesh game is uh, the start of the second round of qualification, isn't it, given the Socceroos automatically entered, given their confederation ranking? Yes, I think Bangladesh had obviously to have this playoff game against the Maldives. Yep. Um, so they've already played that game. So, yeah, we are we are kicking off our our World Cup campaign next week. So it's our first game. And really, predominantly, the most important thing is, is to win, to get the first three points on the board. And uh, and obviously, we're looking for a, for a positive performance of, of the boys. And then you've got a flight to Kuwait to take on Palestine uh, on the Wednesday. So Kuwait obviously needed as a neutral venue, given, unfortunately, everything going on between Palestine and Israel. That's um, some sort of assignment as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. But... Uh, you know, obviously, uh, all the uh, the different organisations, the federation and, and, and the government, and all the, uh, the security departments have obviously worked very, very closely together to make sure that everything is is looked after in, in the best possible way, and that we can concentrate only on one thing and uh, you know playing a playing a good football match. 
So you start again, a 16-game stretch. And as you touched on, Renault, the, the, I guess the tsunami of support behind the boys in Qatar was incredible. Incredibly brave showing in the round of 16 against the eventual champions, Argentina. I guess what that means is expectations from outside the camp are probably higher than ever now. Do you get a sense of that internally? Well, <clears throat> the thing is this, that obviously with the performances that we've had over the last 12 to 14 months, um, our our expectations have grown ourselves. Mm. You know, the players have set those standards against these really high-profile nations. If you look back to who we've played over the last 12 months, like you mentioned before, obviously we had a good win against New Zealand, but England, obviously we lost 1-0. But what we've done in those games is we have definitely changed the perception of the, the pundits in the world of football. Everybody that was talking to me after the game against England was just full of praise of how we addressed the game, how we played, and everything, and, and that earned us a lot of respect. But the most important thing is those expectations should be there. The players, we as staff, everybody else, we've set different kind of standards, and these are, you know, standards, high standards that we want to meet every time, starting again next Thursday. It is amazing, really, isn't it, given it, Renee, because there were some really um, sticky points, I suppose, and real pressure at various stages of the last qualification cycle, and a lot of that was on Graham Arnold, of course. I guess it shows you how fickle... It can all be. 100%. But the most important thing is within that, Sam, you know the industry is that you stay calm within. And I think we've created a very strong culture within the uh, the Socceroos. We've got a very good staff, so, uh, you know, supporting, uh, you know, the players. The players are buying into what we want. And you always, you know, it's never plain sailing. But that is what it is. But you learn every time you play, whether you win, draw or lose. You learn from it. You grow from it. But uh, you make sure you stay on course, and that's exactly what we did. We're speaking to Socceroos assistant, Rene Muhlenstein. Rene, you just mentioned that word there I wanted to raise you there, and, and it's culture. I've always wondered with international football, given you don't have access to the players for long at all. You know, they fly in late from all over the world most of the time, and they leave straight away. World Cups aside, they are fleeting reunions. How do you create a culture and a connection in such limited times? Yeah, it's a really good, a really good point, uh, Sam. Because a lot of people do not understand, you know, the challenges that we face with in and amongst the, around the national team. But the culture, what we created, started right from day one, five and a half years ago when we started. We had our first camp in Turkey. We never played a friendly game. We had the boys for ten days, and within that, we had a lot of conversations with the boys. We wanted to know what the culture was like. Uh, and it was a good opportunity for us to explain them the culture that we wanted to create and also how we wanted to play. And that is credit to Graham Arnold when he put that sort of theme to our journey last time around to say, "By I want to create the greatest Socceroos team ever, and therefore I expect to win every game. So those two things were basically the, 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 the running factors behind that culture. And players have Obviously, don't have to buy into it. And obviously, as you get on with the journey, you play more games, you get a bit more time to work with the players. The players then see, you know, they, 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 they reap the fruits from, from what we were doing. And that culture then grows as you get on, you get stronger. Now, it's quite different because the players know what culture they come into. Mm. So we don't have to explain anything. They know what to expect what the, from us as staff. And we know what to expect from the players. As I said earlier, you've managed all around the globe and some high-profile um, world footballers, some of the biggest names in the game you've had underneath you and alongside you. I suppose what we know now around the mental st- space and mindfulness and culture and all those things you can create, the intangibles away from the pitch, how much more important they are now to a, to a side and to a club and an organisation. Can you speak a bit to that? 
Yes, I've always got the saying, Sam, is where the mind goes, the rest will follow. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that you, you can you can influence and players have to influence. But if you look and you break it down, the players have to be basically look after the physical you know, uh, aspects of the game because they, they have to do that in club land. The same with the tactical aspects. If they, they need to practice certain aspects of the game, they need to do it, they need to take the time. What we can influence is obviously the tactics, the way we want to play and making sure that the players understand and we let them play to the strength. But more than anything, it's all that mental strength that is so important. And basically, mental strength is replace it with confidence, you know. And when players are, are confident in what they do and what they believe in, they enjoy it. And that is the two key main ingredients that we want to we want to focus on when the players are with the Socceroos. And the other part of it is with the Socceroos, Renee, is, you don't need me to tell you this, but uh, geographically there's challenges as well. I mean, the, the players are, are spending more time in the, in the air traveling back and forth and perhaps, you know, most, most other countries and setups in the world. It, it, it is, and it's something that I highlighted around the World Cup by saying how can it be that the World Cup is the, the highest platform for, for players to, uh, <clears throat> to play at. And it's not a it's not a level playing field in terms to you know to get to the World Cup because if you compare that with the teams in Europe, you know Germany, Holland, France, Spain, they only have to play eight to maximum ten World Cup qualifiers, and not travelling more than three and a half three and a half hours to do it to get so we have to play sixteen, um, you know, and and travel a uh, hundred thousand plus kilometres. So these are sort of things I think uh, organisations need to look at. These are the challenges that we have. The good thing is most of our players are used to it and they they able to deal with it. Take us through the 23-man squad that you've known, Rene. I mean, the bulk of the team are returning from October, so that points to the fact that you were satisfied with, with that pair of games against England and New Zealand, of course. And, and I've got to say, it was great to see Massimo Luongo back again. Um, first time in four years he was called up last month, obviously, and, and did impress against New Zealand. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, and, and Massimo has, has gone through a little bit of a difficult spell in his personal career, he's, he's had a few injuries. He, he was without a club at a certain time, but then he's, he's found his feet again with Ipswich Town, had a fantastic season last year. And, and again, he's continued to do that. And so, you know, he warrants that, that, that selection 100%. So it's great to see him back. And he brings that extra bit of experience that we sometimes need. Now, Rene, a lot of people listening won't be familiar with this name, but the hardcore football followers will. But what do we need to know about Cassini Yengi, who's heard of the maiden uh, Socceroos call-up? He's been in good form for Portsmouth. I think it's five goals in eight for him. Tell us a bit about him. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's testament also to our strategy, Sam, as well as because Graham Alden and I, we always continuously be looking to bringing new players through, young players through, because our game is based on energy and intensity. And, uh, and a lot of young players have made the debuts for us. Now, Yangi, we brought him in. It's like you said, he's somebody that we, he's, he's was on our radar already for quite some time. We monitor him. Uh, caught up a little bit of an injury. That's why we couldn't select him in the previous 20 games. But uh, he's back fit and playing, scoring goals. So... He gives us an extra dimension in front. He's a big boy. He's strong in the air, you know, um, and, and, and some of the qualities that we can really use in the upcoming games. And so you've been down there to watch him a few times, Rene? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been, like I said, I'm based in, in, in England still, and it's a fantastic uh, position for me to, to really quickly go to everywhere I want. So I, I try to go and watch as many players as I can in between the camps. Now, just to cheekily better ask you, what's going on at Manchester United, please? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean that is a good question. But I think everything that every, everything that looks broken is broken uh, in, in, from 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 the top to 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 everything. But uh, listen, at the end of the day, you know, Eric and Hawk can only focus on, on what he can focus on, which is directly 
the influence he has with the team, you know, uh, and, and, you know, they are in a results business and uh, that is what he needs to turn around as quick as. And, you know, hopefully for all the fans, you know, it's been a constant ongoing saga about the takeover and not takeover. And that creates a lot of unrest and, and, and that doesn't help anybody in the club. Renat, I've got to say, I'm not sure many, if any, other sports and, and Australian sporting teams can garner the level of support that the Socceroos, and in fact the Matildas do, when they feature in World Cups and, and prep, preparing for World Cups as well. So I'm sure you'll get a massive crowd at Amy Park next Thursday against Bangladesh. That's the first step of many, but we wish you well on the journey and, and really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Sam. There's Renate Muhlenstein there, the Socceroos assistant. Uh, he is a superstar of world football. That man has been absolutely everywhere and spent uh, a large part of his career uh, managing alongside Sir Alex Ferguson at the Red Devils. That's just why I just had to cheekily pop in that Manchester United question for Renate. But if you're getting along to Amy Park, um, you're in for a treat. And if you're not, then make sure you do. Uh, it's next Thursday against Bangladesh before uh, the boys fly over to Kuwait to take on Palestine on uh, on the Wednesday. Um, so that was Renee Muhlenstein there. Already see a couple of questions coming through as well for our chat with Mick Applett. That's uh, at about five past ten, so about uh, ten or twelve minutes' time. If you've got a question, you've got a name, you've got a defender out there, you've got a diamond in the rough, someone, anyone you want us to throw in the direction of Mick Ablett, who is a cross this draft crop as much as anyone else in this country, feel free to drop us a 40 Wings temper text, 0433981116. Now we'll take a break. Back with more on the Captain's Run right after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Just catching up with the Europa League results from overnight. Some chaotic scenes in the Toulouse-Liverpool game. I think they're in the seventh and final minute of stoppage time. Liverpool equalised, or at least they thought they had, to make it 3-3. And then overturned, so often they seem to be these days, via VAR and uh, Toulouse. They celebrated wildly at the final whistle beating the Reds 3-2. West Ham as well, if you've got an interest with the Hammers, they beat Olympiacos 1-0. Hey, this Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, this is your journey. I'm catching up with a former race car driver, and for a period of time, things might have been different, but then he went down the engineering path. He's a Bathurst-winning engineer. His name is James Small. He's now a crew chief in NASCAR over there in the US. Joe Gibbs Racing, this is, uh, I think, fascinating. You don't have to be a petrol head to take something out of this. Pretty amazing journey, James Small, the crazy helter-skelter world of NASCAR over there in the US for 36 races a season, crisscrossing the US. It's high pressure, high stakes, and James Small went off to chase it all many years ago, Australia to the US, without a job to take when he got there, and now he's uh, living his dream. That's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Celebrating Lives. That's 10 o'clock Sunday with James Small. We'll take a break. I see some questions are already lobbing in for Mick Ablett. Our draft conversation continues with Mick. We're going to zero in on the back on the backs today, the defenders who uh, are going to be taken at the pointy and also maybe some diamonds in the rough as well. That's next. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Well, round one of the 2023 National Draft will be held on Monday, November 20, and then the remaining rounds the following day, Tuesday, November 21. Then we've got the Rookie Draft, the preseason Draft. That's on Wednesday, November 22. Where is the year going? It's roaring up on us quick, so we better plug back in with our draft expert. We've gone through the mids. We've gone through the forwards. 
We're going to turn our attention to the stoppers and the rebounders today, those who get it done in the back half of the ground. Mick Ablett, big welcome back to SEN. Morning, Sam. How are you, mate? I'm well. How's life with you over there in the West? Yeah, very good, mate. Certainly moving uh, very quickly in the summer, so the weather's turned, mate, and it's uh, very, very enjoyable. Now, I uh, don't know if you were listening, but I solicited any questions anyone wanted to fire your way uh, about 10 minutes ago, <laughs> please do so. I've been inundated with questions here for you. So this will be an interesting chat, I reckon, as we turn our attention to the to the best backs in this year's draft crop. When I am to raise that with you, where where is your, at the pointy end of proceedings, where does your mind go? Yeah, mate, I'd go straight to Connor O'Sullivan. He's a 198-centimetre centre-half back, really. He was a Coast League Team of the Year player in that particular position and he's the genuine swingman of this draft we uh we generally get one of them and and i've likened him a little bit you know you think of an oscar allen type player i remember back in in younger days to darcy moore that had the ability to play center half forward and center half back this guy's just a um a beautiful attacking option in either one of those positions um particularly down back where he really likes to slingshot Mm. He takes the ball deep, he takes off, he attacks at every opportunity. But uh, having said that, he's also got a really nice level of composure. So he does want to go and take the game on. But he's also got the ability to sum the situation up, compose himself and, um, and you know, change direction and, and hit, a, hit a target somewhere where he wasn't necessarily moving in the first place. So there's a lot to like about Conor O'Sullivan. These kids are just amazing athletes these days, aren't they, Mick? So sixth or eighth, rather, in the 2K time trial. So he's 198 centimetres and he pumps out a six-minute, 11-second 2 k Yeah, I literally made this comment last night, Sam, and I was talking to a friend of mine just saying, these young men, like, they're huge now. And to the athletic prowess that they've got, it's just remarkable. And, you know, not to dwell on it and go back on it, but that's where I get a little bit frustrated when the draft gets talked down and we hear about shallow drafts and the like because, you know, you've, as you mentioned, you've got Conor O'Sullivan that finished eight in a time of six minutes, 11 seconds, and then you've got, you know, Ethan Reid, the big ruckman tied to the Gold Coast who mm. ran a five-minute 56 and finished third. So to be doing those sorts of numbers at, at the size of those particular boys is just incredible. Let's keep our conversation at the front end of the draft for the defenders for the moment, Mick. We had this man on our program um, on SEM Breakfast, I reckon, a few weeks ago now. His name's James Leake out of Tasmania, in a different physiology, uh, of of course, to, to the player we just mentioned, 187 centimetres, 77 kilos, and has been a bit of a, what would you say, a bit of a surprise packet as the years unfolded? Yeah, I would. Look, he's, he's come on in leaps and bounds, and, you know, we were talking about him sort of, towards the back end of the first round and, you know, being one of those picks in the late teens, I think he's starting to really come in. I think clubs would be, you know, mulling over whether he now sits in the early teens. Um, He had an outstanding season. He averaged 16 possessions at 83% um, Mm. across the championships. Now, that's that's a real key for him. His ball use off half-back is just exceptional. He's, he's got a really, really nice aerial presence about him as well for his size. And, you know, those sorts of guys, I tend to go back and think of the likes of an Andrew Mackey who, you know, had an unbelievable career, obviously, at Geelong and a lot of success. So he's that ability to play on tall, then smalls, to be able to maintain possession of the footy and, you know, and be 
be an, an aerial presence as well as um, having that ability to compete at, the, at ground level, and that's exactly what James Leake does. And oh, the other, well, actually, I'll leave it open to you for a moment here, Mick. Where, where, where else would you like to take us in regards to the pointy end? Well, there's a couple of guys, and there's some real genuine size. I know we just mentioned uh, Conor O'Sullivan. There's another guy, Ollie Murphy, mm. another key defender out of the Sandringham Dragons. He, he reminds me a little bit of Caleb Marchbank. He's that a beautiful, rangy type. He just glides across across the ground and makes it look easy. And uh, he's got some real potential to become one of the elite interceptors at, at AFL level. He reads the ball very, very well, and he just executes the fundamentals and that's key, I find, with these young players when they're coming into an AFL environment. If they can keep the game simple, execute the fundamentals, the rest of those things start to come, and they get taught when they get to the level. So Ollie Murphy's definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, his teammate, Archie Roberts, is another one, a little bit similar to a James Leake, yeah, a little bit shorter, at 184 centimetres, but he, he's got the ability to win it back in dangerous areas. And when I say that, he puts himself in positions to actually win the ball back and set up a number of counter-attacks coming off half-back. And, and I, I tend to think, you know, a little bit of Nick Newman type about, about Archie Roberts. In, uh, he's elite by foot. He's literally surgical in the way he, he picks, you know, opposition teams apart. He likes to come back through the middle of the ground. And he was another one that tested um, in the top 10 for the 2K time trial. Yep, yep. Will McCabe, obviously one of the father-sons in the pool, tall back. I think he's played forward as well, hasn't he? Obviously tied to Hawthorne where his dad Luke's a, a board member and unfortunately hurt himself in the, the back half of the season, didn't he? But he's someone who's shown you know, his skill set as an intercepting tall back. Yeah, he certainly has. I, I really like him in his ability. He does not fumble the footy. And, and for a young man that's just shy of 200 centimetres, to be as adept as what he is at ground level mm. and to be able to take the ball consistently as a one-touch player is is phenomenal. And, you know, and again, through the credit to the, the work that these guys are putting in, he really picks his moment. He picks his moment to go, and when he does go, he goes really, really hard in his ability to rebound and, and provide some run out of defence. So, you know, he's one I think... It's going to be interesting to see where the bid comes for him, but I don't imagine it's going to be... Um, too long before we have to wait for a club to, to call Will McCabe's name. Yeah, I don't know where he's getting his height from either because Luke wasn't the tallest of players. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. He was a very good player though, Luke McCabe. He was, again, he was, you know, we speak about defenders and their ability to maintain possession and execute and hit targets and, and that's what Luke was over his career. So yep. a little bit different to his dad, that's for sure. Now, I hope I pronounced this uh, young man's name correctly, but first of all, this text came through, by the way, on the 40 Wings Temper uh, 0433981116. says, Mick, I love how vocal you've been about the depth of the draft. One defender that I think has huge upside because of his leg speed and big left leg is Nathan Philoctetes. I believe his GPS data is running through halfback. He's off the charts. Frio on West Coast desperately needs speed. Do you think he will still be available for their later picks? Yes, I definitely do. There's, there's been a few different pronunciations. I've, I think it's phylactides, I believe. Phylactides. Uh, apologies if, if I've got that wrong. But, um, I'm assuming it's Greek. If, if you're wrong, they'll let us know, I'm sure. <laughs> Happy to be proud. I'd rather get it right now, <laughs> that's for sure. But, um, yeah, look, he's a young man out of the Oakley Chargers. He's a, a 179 centimetre, 80 kilo player. He was a Coach League Team of the Year award winner in the back pocket there. And, 
He actually had some exposure at VFL level as well. He played two games for Richmond, one early in the year in round six and another one in round 21. And a left footer, he's got good enough speed to create space and a little bit of separation when he does decide to, to take off and you know win the ball back. But um, he's one that sort of tends to sit off and play that quarterback-type role. Um, beautiful ability to open the ground up. He picks his mark. He's not afraid to to pick the opposition off through the middle of the ground and, and really start to space, you know, the ground for his team when they go forward. So, yeah, it's a really good call, and I think he will be there a little bit later in the draft. And, and he's the type of player that, you know, as um, as the callers have mentioned, that really do add depth to the draft. Yep, yep. I, I love this. It's almost turning into a Q&A. Ask Mick about – now, he's another name that I hope I get right, uh, Mick. Uh, Tyson – Shrook, Eastern Rangers, 37 possessions in a grand final. Yeah, look, he, he really made his mark, mate, in that particular game. And, you know, when players can accumulate and find that much of the footy, you've got to stand up and take notice. So he's got a fantastic work ethic, ability to get from contest to contest and and really have an impact. And, and that's where he'll make, you know, his mark and that's where he'll give clubs, you know, something to think about when you're, when you're talking about players that have got the ability to cover the ground, to really stay out there for a little bit longer, we know it's a power game. We know there's a lot of repeat effort involved in, in today's footy. And you know, for someone that's got the work ethic that he's got um, and the ability to keep finding the footy, and he's a very, very good user by both hand and foot. Mm. And, um, you know, they, again, Sam, these are the sorts of guys where... You know, you're talking the back end of the, of the draft or the second half of the draft, I should say. You know, and young men that are standing up on the biggest stage of the year in, in their particular league and, and producing that sort of performance, you know, that, that's where the gems are and, and that's where you've got to find them. Has to count for something, doesn't it? And I know Steel Sidebottom was at the other end of the, the spectrum. He was always going to be a, a pick somewhere up near the, near the front end, but they still talk about his grand final. Yeah, exactly right. It, it's remarkable to kick 10 um, against my old mob mate and, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously a team down your way as well, down on the Stingrays. But, um, look, and that's, you're 100% right. At some point when you're looking at a player, um, particularly when there's interest around him from a draft perspective, you want him to have that breakout game. Mm. Most players do, some don't, but most players have that game where they really stamp the, their authority and they arrive. Um, you know, for Steel Sidebottom, it was in a, a TAC Cup, I mean, back then in the TAC Cup Grand Final. And, um, you know, those, those sort of performances, they don't happen by chance. So, um, yep, they're, they're definitely ones to refer to, and, and I'm a great believer in in good players stand up in big games. Speaking of AFL draft expert Mick Ablett, countdown to the national draft later on this month. Mick, this guy's not a, a defender, but I just have to ask you about him because it's a fascinating journey and it's a bit of a curiosity. It certainly is for Ben in Manalizer who's text in. Now, I, I read something about this guy a while back and very little since. So Ben says, question for Mick Ablett. The best junior basketballer in Australia for the last few years turned his hand back to football, played at the Northern Knights, 30-plus touches every week and a goal and a half a game average. Reminds me of Taylor Adams. I can't understand why no one is talking about Christian Ferranato. Could Mick please explain? Yeah, they're interesting ones, aren't they? I mean, I love the basketballers, and as we all do, they're, um, you know, they, they've got that natural knack to actually sidestep very, very good in traffic and, 
Uh, we've heard the names bandied around for a long time around Scott Pendlebury, I think the most common one, but Christian Petrarca is another one. When you, you just see his awareness in traffic, he's got that peripheral vision. And a lot of that's got to do with basketball and, you know, playing in the key and the tightness of, of how that type of game unfolds. But, you know, Christian Fernando, he, he was a, a Coast League Team of the Year representative on the interchange bench and you know, ranked fifth at state combine level four agility with mm. a, a time of 8.11 seconds. Um, you know, as you mentioned, average 28 disposals, seven clearances, six tackles in, in 12 Coast League games. So he, he's had a ripping year. I kind of liken him a little bit to a James Warple. So I know the comment came in around around Taylor Raddatz, very, very similar type of player and a, and a good likeness. He's just a stoppage ball. He moves through the contest very well. And when I say that, you know, a lot of players can be flat-footed at the contest. They, they'll sort of tend to have a little bit of lateral movement or be somewhat stationary. This young fella just goes through the contest and he's got that ability to take the ball with him and, and guys that can read it offhand like that become incredibly dangerous and threatening when they can take the ball on the move and, and come out the front side of the stoppage. Now, Mick, I'm always inclined, uh, more than inclined, to read out anyone who's considered to be a smoky. Now, I'm not sure if there's too much smoke around this man, to be honest, but Bo's over in South Perth, and he's texting to say, what do you think of a deep... He says deep draft smoky. Galen Savini from Subiaco in the waffle, intercept marking defender. I think he's in his 20s, maybe 21. Seems to have grown his game over the last 12 months. Yeah, look, I was... Fortunate, Sam. I, I spent the last couple of months running for the league team at Subi, so I got a really in-depth, close-up look at Galen. And there's no doubt in my mind he's got AFL qualities. Mm. And, and he is, again, he's one of those players that can play tall and small. He's got an incredible knack of reading the play. He comes off his opponent at the right time to impact. I, I didn't see him get beaten. Over the course of the last couple of months of the year, he was not beaten in any game that he played in. He's got very, very good leg speed. He can play deep. He can get up and play across half-back, and, and he's a genuine threat across half-back due to his... He's, he's got a natural desire to take the game on, to break the game open, to keep it moving, and and he's a very, very good player overhead. He's got a little bit of work to do on, on his kicking. I think Galen would be the first one to... You know, to to agree to that and to attest that, you know, he's going to continue to work on that. But gee whiz, he's got a lot, a lot of AFL attributes. He's a, a beautiful athlete too, very, very well put together. And um, you know, you could do far worse than giving Go and Savini a go, either late in the draft or even even as a rookie. Now, Mick, I wasn't sure whether to mention this big man in our Defenders chat or not, because to be honest, I'm not sure where Will Dawson sits. Is he a ruckman? Is he a key forward? Is he a key back? He's played just about everywhere, I think. He's 200 centimetres. Where does he, where, do you, where have you got him pegged? Yeah, it's interesting, mate. I've literally got um, literally got those notes written down. He played as a defender at the Champs, and, you know, and then I saw a bit of him play forward ruck as well. So... We love players to specialise in a in a certain position. So what what's their go to? What's their one wood? What are they as a player? But you know, in, in Will's case, it's not such a bad thing. I mean, he's obviously attracted the interest of five or more clubs to get to to the national combine. So there's genuine interest there. He's a late birth. He's born on the twentieth of December, so mm. very very young for his draft year. But again, 
he plays a little bit of that Harris Andrews type role when he plays in defence. Um, just you know that ability to shut an opponent down, but he's also you know very very adept at winning it back. He's well put together again for a young man of 200 centimetres and 86 kilos. And the thing that really stuck out for mine when you look at Will Dawson is his field kicking. He's a he's a lovely distributor of the footy and, and generally you know finds targets when he's coming out of the back half. He he certainly got the ability to find the ball through the middle of the ground when he's playing as a ruckman and and link up as almost an extra midfielder. So, yeah, look, those taller types we tend to see taken in the the second half of the draft. Um, sometimes, you know, they'll, the clubs will overlook them. There's a, been a real tendency um, to let them go back and develop a little bit more, and you know, and take them in in a year or two's time. But and someone like Will Dawson that's got the flexibility to play in a number of different areas of the ground, mm. I'd be surprised if he didn't get a go, as I say, somewhere late, you know, even as a rookie, because there's a lot to like about him. And, and as I say, he's almost a year behind his counterparts in terms of being born, you know, only a few days before Christmas. Yeah, so you can be too versatile then. Can it, can it almost work against you? We're just reading between the lines. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, not work against you as such, but yeah, when when you're drafting for players, a lot of a lot of senior coaches, you know, that obviously do go in and sit mm. in list management discussions and and recruiting discussions. Ultimately, their question is going to be, okay, that's all great. So he can play a little bit back. He can roll through the midfield. He can play forward. But what is he? Yeah. What am I getting? And what have I got to work with? So that's what a lot of the time when it comes to recruiting, you, you've got to be able to hang your hat. On something as a player um, and what else you bring to the table is a bit of a bonus I mean you look a little bit closer to home you know over here we are even sorry with a say a Jack Silvani you know Jack's got the ability to go in the ruck we've seen him play back but ultimately he's a forward um, and you know what you're going to get out of him as a forward you know he's going to hit the scoreboard you know I think of, of another one over here like a um, a Josh Rotham type player that, again, played defence, can play in the ruck. But, you know, ultimately those guys can sometimes find themselves in and out of a team yeah. because they don't specialise in a certain position. And, um, you know, that's, that's the really important thing. You've got to have something to hang your hat on. Mick, fantastic to talk to you, mate. The appetite is there for this draft. Make no mistake. The feedback's been enormous. Appreciate uh, the time again. Great to chat. No worries, Sam. Appreciate your time and all the best to the young men in uh, just over a week's time. Good on you, Mick Ablett there. Back shortly on The Captain's Run. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back. It's The Captain's Run. Melbourne's weather today, by the way. Cloud clearing, top of 31 degrees. Going to be nice and warm. That's for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and the inner suburbs. A heap of feedback off the text when it came to the defenders in this uh, draft pool with Mick Ablett. Off the text, I did not hear Daniel Curtin mentioned who is considered the best key defender in the draft. That's from Joe. I think we did mention him, Joe, and we mentioned him historically as well in our forwards chat, given he has also played um, forward for portions of the season. There's been a bit of overlap with players like Daniel Curtin. And apologies for a lot of names coming through who I didn't get a chance to get to. Charlie Nash, one of them, obviously father-son Richmond, potentially. Uh, Mitch Crowden as well coming through off the text as well. 
And uh, as this texter point out, it sounds like the 2023 draft will be known as the Commentator's Nightmare Draft. Some of those surnames might need a bit of workshopping. Uh, right, there's a lot still to get to, though. Georgia Nanscorn's going to join us shortly. Essendon are in the AFLW finals for the first time, and Georgia's got some sort of story behind her. She'll take the field with the Bombers on Sunday down at GMHBA Stadium, the elimination final against the Cats. We've still got to get to Mitch Creek, South East Melbourne Phoenix. A little taste of magic. Miles Fitzner back in the house, and Tom McGuinness is our man on campus, big man on campus over at North Carolina as well. That's still ahead of us, thanks to McCafe, our official coffee pump. Monique, thank you. Beautifully done. And as Monique just mentioned there in the news update, State Memorial Service, a celebration and a chance to pay tribute to the great Ronald Dale Barassi, taking place in about half an hour's time at the MCG. He holds a special place in our hearts, doesn't he? Um, Sporting legends, he's one of them, who in many ways transcend their sport. They're embedded in the fabric of their city and their country, and that's certainly the case with Ronald Dalbarassi, one of the most important figures in the history of the game and certainly ahead of his time in terms of taking the game to uh, to a national format. Lee Matthews, Kevin Sheedy, Gary Lyon among those part of the service at the MCG today. As I said, we'll bring you some of that audio from the G after 11 o'clock when proceedings get underway there. But Mick is in Kings Park. He's called in on the captain's run for state transport. Our people are your solution. Uh, good morning to you, Mick. Uh, very good morning, Sam. Uh, before I get on to my main topic, great interview with the Socceroos assistant coach. It was, it was really good to listen to. But my main point, you know, it's a testament to Ron Barassi and everything he's done in the game, which is kind of freaky the way the numbers are today. That it's the 10th of November, we had 10 premierships. Yeah. And we're going to have a top 31. Yes. <laughs> well pointed out, Mick. It's just weird. It's. Yeah, oh, he absolutely was. No, he 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 um off the field, on the field, um, and some of that vision which has been uh, on our screens here, Mick, in the studio for much of the morning, um, will stand the test of time. I met him a few times actually. Was lucky enough um to interview him a few times and bump into him socially a few times and. And look, and who, and who am I? And what a great bloke he was too. So uh, open, so engaging. Um, spoke to anyone who who went up and introduced themselves. He was an absolute uh, ripper. And um, as I said, he sits on as a, a legend in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, a legend in the AFL Hall of Fame. He's a he's a recipient of the Order of Australia as well. And just seeing the cues to get into the MCG now are. Uh, a befitting of a man who um, who carries a lot of weight in uh, in the sporting landscape in this town anyway, Mick, and in this country. Appreciate it. And uh, well pointed out, some Twilight Zone stuff there. 10th of November and a top today of 31 degrees. Uh, spooky, the way it turns out. Um, right, after our next break, we're going to touch base with Georgia Nanscorn as well. Some feedback on the way Georgia plays her footy. Um, says Ross, love the way she goes about it. Not a huge kick, but always scraping at the bottom of the pack. Just a real honest teammate who you could trust every second of the game and you would love to play with top three in the BNFI reckon. Good on you, Ross. Um, we'll have her up shortly, as we will Mitch Creek. Always entertaining, Mitch. South East Melbourne, Phoenix, Melbourne United. That's this Sunday tip-off. You know what? That might just about be the pick of the offerings this weekend. 
in uh, in this town. Uh, the throwdown at John Kane Arena. That's going to be big. It's 1v3. Miles Fitzner, how's he fared anyway in the last few days, Miles? He was on fire last Friday when we touched base with him. How's he been going over there on uh, on SEN track? We'll catch up with uh, him at 11.20. Tom McGuinness as well as our punter at North Carolina at 11.45. An interesting last couple of weeks, Tom. So looking forward to that chat. All thanks to McCafe, our official coffee partner. But we'll keep an eye on uh, that Ron Barassi State Memorial, which is due to take place from 11 o'clock. And uh, if you are heading down there, get your skates on because I think they want you seated at around a quarter to 11 for proceedings to get underway on time. Uh, you're listening to the Captain's Runners for State Transport. Our people are your solution. Sam Edmund with you up until midday. We'll be back right after this. Uh, we'll talk some AFLW. It's finals time in AFLW and we'll talk other bombers with George and Anscon. Stick around. It's finals time in the AFLW. So minor Premier Adelaide have fourth place Brisbane. That's the first qualifying final tomorrow. Melbourne have got North Melbourne and the other qualifier. Gold Coast hosts the Sydney Swans tomorrow night. That's fifth v eighth. And Geelong have Essendon for company in the second elimination final on Sunday, which is where our attention sits right now. For the Bombers, it's a maiden finals appearance in season two. And I think our next guest will appreciate the occasion as much as anyone. It's an unbelievable journey, Georgia Nanscorn has been on these past few years, and she joins us on the line this morning. Georgia, thanks for jumping on. No, thanks for having me on. Oh, I have to ask, are weeks like this or seasons like this that you've played every game in the midfield, do they make the hard times worth it, Georgia? Oh, absolutely. You know, making finals, winning finals, playing finals, that's, that's why we play. And, um, yeah, it's a super exciting time for the club, and, and we're really looking forward to seeing uh, what we can do on the weekend. Now, you know, stranger to big sporting occasions, but I think we've got you uh, in the car on the way to work this morning on this Friday morning. How are the nerves going at the moment? Yeah, look, there's of course a few nerves. I think um, they'll, they'll get a, they'll ramp up a little bit as we get closer to the day, still trying to stay pretty calm about it all and, and relaxed. And ultimately, you know, in the end, it's another game, game of footy, game of, game of sport. Uh, we had our uh, session last night and we'll have a captain's run um, on Saturday morning and then uh, ready to go for Sunday. So having a, a nice slow build and, um, yeah, really looking forward to hitting the ground uh, running on Sunday. As you would be. And that's obviously where your full focus lies, Sunday GMHBA Stadium against Geelong. But I just want to go back quickly to go forward because your path is amazing. I mean, how many games for the Hockey Roos was it? Was it 205, Georgia? Yeah, yeah. Uh, correct, yep. <laughs> so first selected as a 16-year-old schoolgirl, I think you were the youngest Australian to, to get to 100 and then 150 caps yep. with with the Hockey Roos. You'd, you'd achieved a lot by the time you, you hung up the stick at 26. Yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate to have a you know, long, a long hockey career and, um, as you said, starting sort of at the age of 16 um, meant that I was able to have a long career and, and still... Yeah, fortunately, be, be able to have a have a crack at another sport at the top level, which is really exciting. Um, yeah, when I when I stopped playing at 25, 26, and wanted to, I guess, play sport for the love of sport again, and and always loved playing footy and kicking the football around at school and and with dad when I was younger, and um, to then get the opportunity to, to have a go in the AFLW is 
is really, uh, really exciting. Now, while you were kicking on with the hockey ruse, and I think there was a Commonwealth Games gold medal in there as well, and um, silver at World Cups and Champions Trophy. So you've got a good-looking trophy cabinet in that respect. You were playing a bit of school footy. And am I right to say that one of your coaches at that time was Laura Kane, now the Executive General Manager of Football at the AFL? Yeah, yeah, correct. At, at University High School, I think she was our year seven or eight or, or nine uh, footy coach. Right. So, um, it, all, all funny how that works. And I think she played a potentially played a little hand in me um, going to North initially uh, in their first season um, as she was at North at the time. And uh, yeah, amazing to see what she's done in the world of football, and and she keeps going from, from strength to strength. So given what you've done and are doing this year, which is amazing, why didn't it work at Arden Street, do you think, Georgia? I think it was the two games and, and, and then you were chopped. What, what, what happened there? Yeah, look, I was obviously very very new to the sport um, coming out of hockey and had, had played a, a handful of club games over in Perth with Swan District. So new into the sport, um, yeah, North recruited obviously incredibly strongly. They still have pretty much the same midfield today. Mm. Um, you know, with the likes of you know Astrodale, Jazz Garner, um, Emma Carney was in the midst at the time, and yeah, it was quite hard to, to crack in and um, got the opportunity as a small forward, which I think we've since um, <laughs> probably found that the, the midfield was a bit more to to my strengths. And yeah, I. I Obviously got delisted at the end of the season, which which was fine, and and that was the opportunity to go across to Essendon in the VFL. And as I said, the the whole reason for playing football in the first place was to to play sport for the love of sport again. I kind of fell out of love with hockey, and I guess I wanted to put more the focus on on fun rather than the pressure on myself. And and Essendon VFLW really created that environment for me, and um, yeah, just been. But, you know, when, you're, when you're in a happy, supportive environment, I think you play your best um, sport. So, yeah, it's, it's been really nice to, to be able to develop in that group and then now transitioning into the AFLW um, has, has been something really special. Yeah, so I'm interested in this particular moment, Georgia. So the, the, you go to North Melbourne, you start a, a new life in many respects after the hockey, and you get that brutal setback. Now, you took yourself off to play VFLW football at Essendon. They didn't have an AFLW team at that stage, I don't think. So The uh, how hard – I mean, the easy decision would have been, uh, on paper anyway, a return to hockey. I guess that was the safety blanket, wasn't it? You're, you're only 26. You're a 26-year-old veteran who wanted change, but the easy thing would have been to go back to hockey. Why did you – why did you persist at VFLW level with Essendon? Yeah, to be honest, it didn't cross my mind at all to go back to hockey. Um, I don't absolutely mean it when I say I, I just wanted to play sport for fun again and yeah. um, had, had very much lost lost the love of, of hockey. I was very fortunate to, to experience and achieve some great things um, with the hockey ruse, but yeah, I really felt that I was ready to move on from that and... and um, yeah, to then go to, to the Essendon VFLW, I think that that first season with them, although we didn't win too many games in that season, it was probably one of the most enjoyable years I've had um, playing sport. So, yeah, I, there was certainly wasn't any point where I, I thought, maybe, you know, this is, this is too hard and we'll, we'll go back and, and play hockey. I, I was pretty committed to, yeah, seeing, seeing what footy could do. And, and to be honest, the... Intention wasn't to then be like, oh, I have to then go make AFLW again. I, I was just 
happy where I was and, and, and really enjoying myself um, for the first time in a long time. And, and, and now I've yeah, been very fortunate that the opportunity has presented itself to, to have another crack at the top level and, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. We're speaking to Essendon uh, midfielder Georgia Nanskorn. So, Georgia, tell us about your commitment to the Bombers because, I mean, how many offers from rival clubs were coming when you were playing VFL for Essendon as you were? I mean, we mentioned they didn't have AFLW status at that time. Why were you so committed to Essendon when the rival offers might have been coming in to play AFLW elsewhere? Yeah, there were a few offers over the years. Um, there, there were a couple in that first year and I've won the and VFLW best and fairest and, and following that there are a couple of offers and, and as I said I I was just genuinely happy playing where I was and in a really supportive environment and I think for, for most athletes you you want to fit and and I certainly felt that at Essendon that that was the place for me to um, to develop and and to, to get better and and, and I was quite happy to stay there, even though you know it wasn't at that AFLW level. And and then the years kind of went on. I we hit COVID year, and, and the mm. whole BFL season was cancelled. And and I thought that might be a, potentially my opportunity to, to to throw my hand in the AFLW ring again. And I, I put my name in for the draft. And and yeah, a year later from clubs coming to me, uh, I, I put my name in the draft and and wasn't picked up. And and yeah, at the time that was a little setback, but quickly switched to being well. You know, I get to stay where I love, and I know that I'm you know really valued, and and let's keep working on on my craft here. And um, and then as as the you know the years went on, we obviously realised that an Essendon license for the AFLW wasn't too far away, and um, yeah, that was a pretty big carrot to to stay as well to you know continue that that journey with Essendon and and see that transition from a really successful VFLW program in, into the AFL. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very happy that I've been able to be there for the start of, um, you know, hopefully a really successful AFLW program. So you, you would go on, George, it obviously be Essendon's first ever AFLW signing. And you're playing a VFLW grand final. You've got the contract there on the table back at home. You're going to win this VFLW grand final. How long before that final siren did you rupture your ACL? <laughs> yeah, I think it was about 15 minutes to go or something. Oh. So, yeah, the, the, the game was well and truly um, sewn up by that stage. I think um, looking back on the footage, the commentators were saying, oh, now it's all about enjoying the, <laughs> the, uh-huh. last, the last bit of this game and yeah, went up for a mark, which um, I sit, yeah, joke about. I'm a ground ground ball player. I don't know why I went for a contested mark and um, <laughs> went up and landed, and and the knee just gave way. So um, yeah, certainly not the the way I was hoping that that game to end, and um, was certainly the whole spectrum of emotions um, on that day. Indeed. And just coming back to the whole hockey decision, I guess, maybe it was always meant to be this way. I mean, good bloodlines for you. Now, if I got this right, you are the great, great niece of Kaji Grews, Edward Kaji Grews, yeah. the first Brownlow medalist? Yes, no, that's correct. Wow. Well, it was always meant to be, perhaps. And at this time, I mean, well, last time you played uh, Geelong, you beat them, of course. So I think it was a great come-from-behind win, the best kind. Yep. So 
on the Sunday, you're going to have front row seats to a, a great sibling battle here between <laughs> your uh, Maddie and George's uh, and Georgia from Geelong. They're going to go at it again, the sisters. Yeah, they're two two champions um, of the game at the moment. They're they're both yeah absolutely top quality players, and and we've seen a couple of good battles with them already across the first um, two years, uh, and what, I think one apiece. So. Um, you know, they'll certainly no love lost, put the sibling, uh, you know, love aside once we, we cross that line. And, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing, seeing what they, they do. And obviously I hope that uh, Maddie, Maddie comes out on top for the, on this occasion. <laughs> Indeed. And you too, George. I really appreciate your time this morning. As I said, after you sat out last year, it would have been enormously difficult to do Essendon's first season. You've played every game this year, all 10 11's going to be a big one this Sunday, and hopefully there's more to come after that. Really appreciate it. No, cheers. Thank you. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Not sure about you, but I'm forever updating the bucket list when it comes to sporting events I'd love to get to. And as soon as this was announced, I added it to the list. The Las Vegas Grand Prix. Its uh, maiden event is next weekend. It's going to be absolutely huge. This time next week, we'll be all over it, but I love it. It's going down the strip. I can't believe it's going to be an amazing sight. They'll be tearing past the Venetian, Caesars Palace, the Bellagio. It's going to be huge. Uh, and as I say, next Friday, we'll set the scene for that. Thanks to Shell V-Power, fueling the racing feeling with the Shell V-Power racing team. Situation over there, though, is that you 2 the iconic band, are playing at the Sphere at the moment. And this is a little weird, I'll be honest. But Bono said, uh, well, as a band, we're, we're making way for the Formula One circus coming into town. And then he proceeded to introduce his band members as the best drivers on the Formula One grid. But there's a drummer and there's the bass. But who is the front man? Who's the rock star? You'll never believe who Bono went with. I am the right person to bring peace between Formula One and NASCAR. On vocals, Daniel Ricciardo. So a little strange, a little random, and maybe even just a little bit lame. But he's always been considered the rock star of the Formula One grid, Daniel Ricciardo. He's the main man, the front man. That was Bono over at the Sphere. Uh, We'll take a break on the captain's run. On the other side, we'll talk some NBL. We'll talk throwdown with Mitch Creek at the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Well, on a big weekend of sport, both here and abroad, the NBL's Sunday throwdown between Southeast Melbourne Phoenix and Melbourne United at John Kane Arena might just be the pick of the lot. It's 1v3, it's a rivalry clash, and our next guest is going to play a very important part. Now, Mitch Creek's having another fine season, half a dozen games in, 18.3 points, 7.3 rebounds per game. He's a pillar of the Phoenix, who are among the most informed teams in the competition right now. Mitch Creek, welcome back to SEN. Sam, how are you, mate? Going well, and how are you going? Life must be life must be pretty good right now. Uh, look, it's always good when you win a few games. When you lose a few, normally people talk about you being in the absolute dumpster. But right now, we've uh, we've strung a few together. That's a, a positive sign for us. Um, you know, we're we're playing pretty good basketball, I think. And for for all of us, you know, down at Phoenix, we're just excited about kind of being healthy for the first time all season and. When you have health and you've got a good group of guys, it's easy to win basketball games, mate. Yep, and I'm knocking on wood as you say that, to be honest. You're on your way to training now, aren't you? We got you in the car? Yeah, on my way to training. Got a gym session, then we're on court today. We've even got uh, John Walls in town and, and Romeo owners. So 
Um, having the whole squad in today for a little bit of a boost before the game on the weekend. How much do you enjoy these contests with the uh, with the next door neighbour? Yeah, look, it's it's always a good one because you've got, I guess, there's a little bit of tension with the games. You know, people don't really talk about it and we don't really fluff it up too much. But at the end of the day, you know, there's always the, the little comments that get said before and after games. And realistically, they're always pretty close-fought battles. We always enjoy playing them. Um, the league's so tough and... You know, Melbourne United keep building great, you know, franchise uh, teams every single year. Uh, we know that, but at the end of the day, you still want to kick the absolute shit out of them. Um, that's always the first thing you want to do, but it's a hard team to beat, and we know they're on top for a reason. They are on top. So they've formed, what are they, an 8-2 and two record here. You're at 6-4 and four in third. So they've been the pace setters, but the season is, you know, in its embryonic stages. So are they the benchmark, do you think, Mitch? Yeah, look, I'd say right now, but even now, you know, they don't have their full side. Um, I think when they're at full strength, we'll really see them kind of spread their wings and fly. But for us, we're, we've been much the same. I think with a lot of injuries and having big source out, and, you know, although Tyler Cook was phenomenal for us, we still didn't have the same flow that we had had the year before. And we know what we expect with source. And, when, you know, when you've got guys in and out, it's really hard to be consistent with play and effort. And defensively, we couldn't even, you know, defend a a bowl of two-minute noodles, but now we uh, we seem to have things on a pretty good um, front. Every now and then we drop the ball a little bit, but consistently every day we're having the right habits, we're training the right things, we're diving on you know, the situations that we need to straight away and, and putting out the fires, and I think we're doing a great job. So I think we're, we're definitely going to be a team to watch, but right now it's about staying healthy, enjoying the group we've got around, and, and just going out there and competing really well at both ends of the floor. Yeah, and just on that, I want to drill into some individuals a little bit later on in our chat, but uh, you, of course you're going to need some good fortune, both on the floor and off it, and, and staying healthy, like you're saying. Anything can happen, we know, but do you think you've got as good a foundation to really give it a good nudge this season in terms of the talent that you've, that you've put together on the roster? Look, I always, I think every year the team's done a phenomenal job at really kind of, I guess, growing the strength of the squad, the depth, the rotations, um, you know, leaders, you know, coaches, everyone. I think every year we get a little bit better. The hardest thing is is finding consistency in health, and that's the biggest thing for a lot of teams. And you know, when when you're not healthy, it, it makes it really hard to kind of throw out your best lineups and all the work you do, the recruiting, the preseason. All of that's kind of null and void if you can't be out there together healthy. So for us, it's always been a bit of an issue. I think at the start of the season, I was talking to Mike Kelly and he was like, man, you know, I just, I'd like us to be healthy. It'd be great. You know, I can't really see what we can do with this squad yet. And now that we have had those chances, we are in a position where, you know, things are starting to turn our way just a little bit. But at the end of the day, mate, it is about just kind of, I guess, who can stay the healthiest, the longest and, and, and play great basketball. So just on Mike, who you mentioned, who's obviously come in as coach after Simon Mitchell uh, chose to step down. How's he been and how's your relationship been with, with Mike? Yeah, look, it's been phenomenal. Mike's a, a wonderful person. Uh, he's a great character. He's very funny. He's charismatic. He's, uh, he's a player's coach. And I think he's finding the balance between, you know, being hard on the guys and, hmm. and also being fair and being, you know, a good friend as well, because you need to have that balance. Um, you can't just be the drill sergeant and, and expect people just to run and, and get on the line all day long. You still need to, to love and care for your players, and he does a fantastic job at that. So Mike's been phenomenal. We, uh, we have quite a lot of conversations. We have a lot of, I guess, you know, off-court conversations as well about life and everything else, but we, we do talk about the game, and 
I've been really blessed to to have some phenomenal coaches, and and Mike's definitely one of them. So, you know, he's just one piece of the pie, and you've got you know Sam McKinnon, uh, Luke Brennan, and Triggy. You got Adam Gibson, you got Liam, all these other guys that um, that, that volunteer and, and and come in and and coach and all these people that kind of make that coaching unit what it is. Uh, it's not just Mike Kelly, but it is a, a variety of different people. And without all of them, we wouldn't be in the position we are today. So just a, a huge you know, shout out to all those guys that sometimes get missed in the conversation. Just with Mike, have you copped a spray yet? I've definitely copped a few sprays. Um, there's, uh, there's enough times where I sit there and I say, I'll, uh, you know, I'll always need to, to be told you know, what I'm doing well and what I'm doing wrong. Um, but if you ever need to make an example out of somebody, just, you know, make it me. Like, I, I can take it. It doesn't really faze me at all. And there's been a few times where, even though it could be the most minor of mistakes, we'll come in at half time, might have been up 12, and we end up only being maybe up, up four. He'll come in, he'll light me up one, and, you know, you kind of take it on the chin and you say, yeah, you know, I, I have to be better because there's times where, you know, two games ago against Brisbane, I, I laid a bit of an egg and I wasn't feeling too much, but it doesn't excuse not playing well at both ends and realistically you know he came in and, and fed me one and you know I come back and respond with a, a good game against Cairns and we go out and get that win and, and both both ends of the floor for me kind of lifted to another level and you know in the back of a double you should be more fatigued in the second game but definitely you know has the ability to light you up one and and get, kind of get your ass in the gear when you've been being a bit of a lazy bugger and I'm just curious as well Mitch how different is his philosophy from Simon's I mean uh, w- was there much time needed in the classroom to get your head around things I think it's just about understanding the person you know I've had a lot of different coaches now and every every year I kind of go overseas and play in the off season and do something as well and you've got a whole new system new languages new coaches new players new everything um it's a hard one to kind of balance because you're sitting there trying to figure out like, you know, does this guy even like me as a player? Like, so you've got to sit down and kind of break bread. You've got to understand who they are, meet their family. Then you can start to get into each other a little bit and, and realize like, all right, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. And, and then when you're in, you're in training, then it's about, okay, now we can get on each other. Now we can ask more of each other. Now we can demand mm. a higher level from each other. Now we feel comfortable to push each other. We can be honest with each other. We can be vulnerable with each other. And that's what you want from a coach. And I've had that with most of my coaches. There's no one I've really come in and said, oh, I don't like that person and I want to leave because of that. That's never been the case. Um, I loved having Simon. You know, I love having Mike. I'll always uh, respect and enjoy who we have at the club. But, you know, I trust, you know, the ownership and, and what they're doing and the direction that uh, they and, and Tommy Greer are doing uh, down the southeast. Speaking of South East Melbourne Phoenix star Mitch Creek, uh, throw down against Melbourne United this Sunday, 2pm, John Kane Arena. Just on the floor, Mitch, the influence of Alan Williams since he returned from that knee injury has been, well, absolutely enormous. What do you Just wrap that man in cotton wool, will you? Oh, mate, I don't think you need to wrap him in cotton wool. I think you need to throw stones at him and poke <laughs> the bear a little bit because as soon as you, you, know, you get sauce in one of those mindsets where you know, F you, I can, I can beat anybody and, mm. and I can dominate any situation. I think he, he's understanding that more and more and more in this league. And now that he's actually fit, healthy, he's strong. He's always been an amazing person. He's always been a great leader. Uh, it's about demanding it every single day from him. And when he's not there, you have to poke the bear a little bit. And I think that's what comes with the, the leadership territory as well as, you know, he's always gone and been a, a star player on a team, but now he's been asked, you know, pretty much alongside me to 
to kind of captain this ship and and steer it in the right direction. I think we're doing a pretty good job of that so far, but you look at his performances and he's just absolutely dominant. I mean, there's no one that can guard him. You could put Shaq on him right now in his prime and I think he'd still give him 20 and 10. Um, He's just a great human and I think that's the the biggest thing that, you know, people don't always see behind the scenes and and everything else. Like, he he deserves everything he has in his life to the fullest and, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful to play with him back in the NBA in Brooklyn with the Nets and also with Long Island Nets and then obviously last year and now this year. So four years together, mate. Uh, another another 21 and we can go to jail together. Yeah. there's a Hey, there's another old mate of yours who's just been added to the roster. I mean, you went with Daniel Johnson, didn't you? Um, first team nominee, three times, in fact, all NBL first team nominee. Is the nominated replacement player. And I know you guys spent a fair bit of time together oh, back in the day at the 36ers, so it must be good to have an old friend back around again. Yeah, eight years together at Adelaide. Um, big source. It's funny because there's, there's now two sources on the team. Um, you know, but everyone knows when you get a pie, you got to have two sources. You can't just have one because it doesn't really get to the edges. So it's about, you know, having the balance now between the dominance of, of source one and then obviously having the dominance of, you know, Daniel Johnson, aka source two. Um, it, it's just, it gives us so much more to kind of play with now. Like, obviously, not having a GAC is a big loss and, and he's been phenomenal. Mm. He's been, you know, defensively minded. He's been able to finish and create offense as well. And he's been awesome. So we had to find someone who can equally do what he does to an extent. And I think Daniel Johnson, you know, exemplifies that. He's a great, he's a great person once again, um, which is a pretty consistent theme on this team. Uh, he's extremely smart. He's probably the most skilled big man I've ever played with in my entire career. And he understands the game. He understands the league. He understands the referees and players. And, you know, already, you know, after Gak went down, I kind of texted DJ and just said, hey, mate, how the feet feeling? And he said, itchy. So <laughs> straight away, I was kind of on the buzzer and was like, hey, this, if, if, if there's other people involved, like, great. But this is definitely a name I'd, I'd throw in the ring if we're going to look at someone, depending on how long Gak is out for. But we know however long we get to have DJ for, we'll be lucky. Um, I'm not sure why no other team... Um, recruited him. It's um, it's kind of dumbfounded me, and he's in the best shape I've probably seen him in for the last five or six years. So yeah. we're going to get a great version of DJ. Great experience on the roster too, and the highest scoring active player in the league now. When he takes the four again, hey, just before we let you go, Mitch, I know all your focus is obviously on uh, on the NBL and obviously with with Phoenix, but Paris Olympics next year going to be huge. Can you get yourself there on the Boomer squad? Mate, I'd love to. I've always said, and, and I think more recently, I guess people have been asking me a little bit more, and mm. um, I've kind of just not been as shy to say that, you know, I've never not put my hand up. I've always wanted to be a part of it. I will always will want to be a part of it. Um, whether I get to be selected for a camp and, and get to put my, my talent on display and, and showcase, you know, what I can bring to that team. But, you know, I've always said, mate, that I'll always support the team that goes, and I'll always watch the games. I'll always ride the plays. I'll always... You know, be scouting the teams and watching what, you know, your Slovenias are doing and your Germanys are doing, your Canadas, just watching and, and, and waiting. And if my number ever gets called, then phenomenal. If I can help, then, you know, I'll, I'll be there in a in a heartbeat, whether I've got to run across the, the Pacific or, or whether I've got to kind of, you know, hop, skip and a jump across the water somehow. I'll, uh, I'll find a way and I'll always be there ready, mate, in spirit. And, you know, regardless of what happens, I'll always support and, and wish the best. I hope they can medal again. I hope there's a silver or a gold one day on that table for for all the players and the men there and the history of the Boomers. But right now, mate, focus on the basketball here. Stay healthy. 
you know, try and be healthy and um, live a good life. And, you know, if my number gets called, it does. If not, then I'll keep uh, chipping along and um, just taking each day as it comes. Mitch, great to catch up as always, mate. The Phoenix season building very nicely and you're more than doing your bit. So best of luck for it, particularly this Sunday against Melbourne United over at John Kane Arena. And uh, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, Sam. Have a good day, mate. Yes, I tell you what, this man is bringing so much magic. He's like David Copperfield at the moment. It's just a magical aura around him. He's at the peak of his powers during his grand final, which is, of course, the Spring Carnival. And uh, he is here because Melbourne's home of the ultimate celebration, the Osborne Rooftop and Bar Commercial Road, South Yarra, is doing fine things. Miles Fitzner, welcome. Hello, mate. Hello to the listeners. Look, fine things. Last Friday and Saturday and Sunday, fine. Tuesday, disaster. Yesterday, not great. Um, but that's pretty typical for Cup Week. But then we then we play big, you know, we the big boys come out to play tomorrow. How's that voice going? Oh hanging on by a thread. <laughs> I got called up late on Melbourne Cup Day. I've sort of subbed in for a few people that have gone down with COVID. So um yeah, I think Cup Day I was just a few hours talking and then yesterday talking. Just been talking all week. Well, that's what you do. Yeah. And but I'm, you, you mate, must I'm, fit, I'm firing. I'm just the only thing that's not holding up is the larynx. Now, I wanted to ask you something before we talk about what comes next and what has been. I love this time of the year because um, easy for me. I'm a, I'm a once a year fan and, and look at it from afar. I'm not as invested as you. But these magical things like mystery bets and massive returns oh. on small outlays. So Josh has asked a question off the 40 Wings temper. Can you ask Magic if a corporate bookie would pay out $2.7 million on a first four? And Aaron's referring to the $200 mystery first four that returned an 833% of no, $332,291.10 was the dividend. $2.7 million. The cash would already be in his account, wouldn't it? Absolutely, it would. And why is Josh asking me that question? Yeah, I, I think they've seen in the past some multis and things challenged from different corporate bookmakers. And look at, you know, the size has probably helps as well. But this was a VIP customer with that particular agency as well. Right. Um, there's no drums of that being paid out. I think sometimes with like 15, 20, 30 leg sport multis, there's been signs of these huge payouts being fought. And argued, but yeah, you'd have no dramas with that. That'd already be straight in the account. Bang. There was a t- there was some others. There was a two dollar bet turned into a hundred thousand on a on a first four mystery as well. Yep. And there was another one, was there not? There was there an- was another one, a, a thirty dollar box first four picked non mystery uh, for four hundred and seventeen thousand that kicked around. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And yet, yes, I know people people lose just as much, but uh, I love seeing those things. You always imagine it being yourself. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> 2.7 into the skyrocket. There's, a, re- there's a, a reason why I said, I think I might have even said on this show, I definitely said on SEN Track, if you're going to bet on the Melbourne Cup, Sometimes the best way to do it yep. is take your three dollar or four dollar mysteries and away you go. So we've arrived at Champions Day and what a day it promises to be. We've got three Group Ones and they've all got headline acts. Uh, they certainly do. Uh, we'll start with the champion sprint. Imperatries dollar ninety five in secret four twenty. Um, good race this. Imperatries has got to do it up the straight. Uh, look, I copped a fair bit of heat for taking on a dollar forty pop at Mooney Valley. Um, 
I'm probably going to take her on again. If she wins at that price, that's totally fine, and she can. She's a star. But in secret, up the straight, the straight record speaks for itself. Track and trip, two from two, mm -hmm. four from seven. Uh, the horse is a jet. Arguably um, should have gone closer in the Everest. Uh, in secret for me on top. Don't rule out horses like Starman, uh, Star Patrol, Airman, <laughs> Bellinipatina. I'm hanging on for life here. <laughs> and Imperatrice. I lost it last Sunday, funnily enough. And um, Pray for the formland. Yeah, but uh, in secret on top for me in the champion sprint. Okay, what about the mile? Because that's Mr. Brightside, Fangirl, Alligator Blood. They all meet again. How do you take him on again? He ran in behind Romantic Warrior in the Cox Plate. Um, and, you know, it's probably unlucky there, but he's against one of the best horses in the world. Mm. You take him on at your own peril. Uh, Alligator Blood's got to be the only one. I think the roughie in the race is, is Victoria Road. Happy to risk Fangirl. I know it's short enough in the market. But, yeah, I'd time and time again, I'll say, if you take on uh, Mr. Brightside and then he just keeps popping up, um, you do it at your own peril. This prep's been nothing short of outstanding. Lemon tea's your friend too, I reckon. So. Yeah, I'm Manuka honey. I'm Manuka honey. Okay. Yeah. Uh, finally, the champion stakes where the English galloper and the Caulfield Cup runner-up to without a fight. West Wind Blows is the rightful favourite. And it is a rightful favourite. One of my best bets on the card. It'll be winning this, um, in my opinion. I know there's slight drift. I'm going to have Ed Crisford on the form lounge coming up shortly to chat to him. Um, well, he went super close in the Caulfield Cup, didn't he? He didn't qualify for for the uh, the Melbourne Cup. Without a fight, comes out, wins the Melbourne Cup. Form 101, isn't it? Off the text, rumour is the $30 first four was an ex-AFL player. Uh, that is my mail. <laughs> Can't tempt you into a. Oh, mate, who's you, doing you the can, rounds? I know you're very good at your radio craft, but you can't walk me in that easy, Sammy Edmund. All right. Uh, you also like one in the Queen Elizabeth? Uh, yes, I do. No, in the Amanda Elliott. Oh, the I, Amanda Elliott. The one named after the football players out of Rosemont. I think Schwartz there will be very, very good. So, oh, my coffee man this morning, bullish on Schwartz. If your coffee man's bullish on Schwartz, then look out. Said it was a certainty. There's no such thing as a certainty. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. That's yep. why I said it. There's no such thing. <laughs> I think Schwartz will be winning that. Duke the favourite, isn't it? Yep. Duke DeCessor will be going close in the Queen Elizabeth. Best on the card, race three, number six, Schwartz. And it's race... not named after. It is. After David. Yep, my word, yep. it is. Nice. Um, and then race eight, number four, West Wind Blows are the two best there. Mm -hmm. um, the five diamonds, I'm with Antino, race eight, number three. He's been super unlucky. I've tipped it on here about four or five times. Keep running second. And uh, race seven, number one, Shangri-La Express up there at Rose Hill. And then around the grounds. Yeah, let's go around the grounds. Is there one today? Uh, well, I'll we'll get to that in a second. Oh, okay, sorry. Morvettville Parks, <laughs> race six, number two, press down. Ascot, race four, number six, D'Amber. And Doomman, race nine, number one, Tidal Creek. Mm. Now, um, speaking of these Friday bets, did you get on... Actually, no. I know you didn't. <laughs> I messaged you and I messaged Ross after last week. Mr. Charismatic, uh -oh. I roll into the Albert, no, the mid-something mid park, middle park, the middle park pub. There's a stack of a few of the kangaroos and the Sydney boys. I was there with Makita. I walked in. I said, I've got one bet today. I put it out on SEN. Bang, Mr. Charismatic, $4.80. I message your producer. I message your host. I say, bang, boys, that's the second Friday we've tipped one in a row. Yeah. You get on. I Ross, report. no. You, no. Like, what am I here for? Like, you either back me in or you don't. I don't recall well, that. fair income, you blokes. <laughs> and now you ask me again, what have you got on Friday for us? Uh, and you're not you even going to 
What have you got? I'm writing it down. Right, let's go to Hamilton. Come on. No, no, no just don't muck around. Straight to the chase. We're going to Hamilton. Race okay. to, to highway. Race two, number one, if I could. I was going to make it Rackerman, which is another one named after um, a sporting player, but he's a dollar eighty at, at Packenham. But Big I'm going to make Rackerman. it race two, number one at Hamilton, if it could. That's going to be it today. So that's to go three from three. Okay. Boys. Well, I'm on. Good. I'm done. Just so a small one. When it doesn't it's... salute, you'll be getting a text. Well, when it doesn't salute, the listeners will realise you're a jinx. <laughs> And, and and you'll never have to get on ever again. You better get that Honey India. No, Fitzy's, I'm right. Fitzy's Fall Lounge midday SEN track. Yep, right? that's it. Be there. Okay. Uh, the ultimate celebration venue is, of course, the Osborne Rooftop South Yarra. What's gambling really costing you? Free and confidential support. Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Miles Fitzner will set him off into the day to weave his magic. Monique, thank you. Great to have Miles Fitzner in the house. And it was great to have Mitch Creek on the line earlier. Uh, this text from Cam has to be the best guest on radio. Mitch Creek never beats around the bush. Straight to the point. I love it. Uh, reminder, by the way, you can watch the Hungry Jacks NBL. It's live on ESPN and NFL. You can catch every game this NFL season with Game Pass only on DAZN. Visit NFL DAZN, that's D-A-Z-N.com forward slash NFL. Uh, we've got one item left on our cafe menu, and I've been looking forward to this all morning. His name is Tom McGuinness. He's our punter over at North Carolina. Living the dream is Tom. So... Life on campus as an Aussie over there in the US. We'll plug back in with Tom on the other side of this. Stick around. This is The Captain's Run. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. You know, I must confess, I'm living a tad vicariously through our next guest because uh, he's living the dream over there in the US. He is a punter for the North Carolina Tar Heels, NCAA football, of course. And uh, we opened our conversation with him a couple of weeks ago, and it was time that we uh, paid him another visit, and thankfully he's been kind enough to join us because our life is busy for him at the moment, but I'm pleased to say Tom McGuinness has found just a couple more minutes for us here at SEN on the Captain's Run. Tom, hello to you, and, and welcome in. G'day, Sam. How are you going? Great to have you on, mate. Great to have you on. Now, since Appreciate we since we last spoke, actually, when we last spoke, you guys were flying. I think you were six and zip, and then just had That's the right. speed wobbles or something. What happened? Yeah, I think it's the SEN curse or something. Yeah, since I called you, we've lost two in a row. And <laughs> oh, hang on. <laughs> no, no. Um, we, we found our feet and we had a good win last week against Campbell. So we're, we're looking very raring to go against the rival, which will be very exciting on Saturday night. So. Did, you get a, did you get a punt against uh, Campbell? It was 59-7 in the end. <laughs> I got three, actually, wow. believe it or not. Okay. I was happy with how I did. So the win in my book. So you get to seven and two. Now that's the Campbell Camels. I've got to admit, I'm not familiar with the Campbell Camels. No, they're a, oh, they're a good team, um, but I think we were due for a big win after the last couple of weeks we had. So yeah, it was good good time. So you lost two in a row to Virginia and then Georgia Tech. How did you fare personally in those games? How's your form been? Um, Virginia was a little disappointing. Um, yeah, just didn't really go my way. And then Georgia Tech was a good bounce back. Um, averaged 50 yards a punt, I believe. Um, so that was good to get that back under my belt. Um, Virginia was a good learning experience. Um, just being able to, you know, handle the adversity that came after that game. Obviously, it wasn't, didn't go well for the team, didn't go well for me. But um, I was happy with what I did after that. That got me 
prepared for Georgia Tech and then last week against Campbell. So I've had a good couple of weeks in a row now. Um, but yeah, this is the big one this week against Crosstown rivals. So this, this, this yeah, this is huge. So this, this is Sunday our time. I think it's Saturday night yours against uh, Duke, or as the locals would say, Duke. Who are what? Are they six and three? Sounds right. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? How are you looking forward to this one? Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. It's our homecoming game. It's uh, senior night for us. Um, I think we've beaten them the last four or five times. So no one in that, no, none of the players on the current roster of lost to Duke. So we're going to keep it that way. Wow. On so Saturday. so yeah. is this one of only three games left? So what does it look like from here? Let's let's say that you, you keep performing the way you are. What does it look like after the three games finish up in this regular season format? Yep. So we need a couple other games to go our way to make the ACC championship, which is like our league's championship. Um, so if we win out and then a couple teams lose, We'll face Florida State early December, and then from there the bowl games are decided. Which I, I couldn't tell you how that system works, but we will play a random team in a random city, sort of like around Christmas time. So we'll have the month of December preparing for that, and then that's it. So it's, it goes very quick. Let me tell you. How are you handling it all, mate? Because when we last spoke, you were almost fresh on the scene. There was obviously the injury to the, I guess, the nominal punter there that opened the door for you. And we were speaking just after you'd played, I think, maybe your first game. If not, then your That's second. Right. How how have you adjusted? How, how big is it? Yeah, it's just very, very busy. So a, a normal week for us looks like Monday is our day off and then Tuesday to Thursday, we're up at 5 a.m. with practice before class. And then after class, we come back for meetings and treatment and all that. So that's Tuesday to Thursday. Um, Friday, we go through our walkthrough, which is just running through the plays that we're having ready for Saturday. Um, And then we head to the hotel on Friday night. Um, Whether it's a home or away game, we always stay in a hotel as a team. And then Saturday, we pretty much just, yeah, more meetings, mm. a, lot of, a lot of eating, just getting ready for the game. <laughs> the bad thing about a night, 8pm uh, game is you're just standing around all day. Um, yeah. You know, you're raring to go, but you sort of got to work out a way to keep busy until then. I like the sound of the eating part. Um, now, since we last spoke yeah. as well, your girlfriend, uh, Claudia, is there. Your mate, Louie, uh, has joined you as well. Yeah. So, you, what, you got a full house. That's right. We've got Ethan coming. We're taking him away from you in about a week's time as well. So it's, yeah, it's He's devastated about that. Time. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so what what he happened? <laughs> he was telling me, actually, that what happened? Did he get caught up in a some sort of school shooting over there? Oh, yeah. Uh, two of them, actually. So, um, I guess it's just, unfortunately something that happens here, but they were pretty minor, um, which is lucky. But, yeah, the first one... Yeah, I got stuck in a bathroom for about a couple of hours. Really? Holding off. Um, yeah, because like, something happens, like there's a, a report of a shooter, and then you know people just make up a bunch of things. Like you just hear crazy stories throughout the hours that, of the day, and you're just like, you know, crap, like what's, you know, is it, is it real or not? Like that one was, it was real, but it wasn't bad. And then the second one was, it was nothing. I think a, a dude's gun just fell out of his pocket. 
but it's it's definitely scary. Like it's nothing you'd experience in Australia, but oh. you've got to be aware of it here, I guess. Not if the students are bringing guns to the school. That's not. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Wow, that is that is that is amazing. So, um, tell us about the car. You just bought a car over there as we explore life on campus. But are you actually allowed to, uh, permitted to drive it at this stage? <laughs> uh, technically, no. But I mean, I've got to get got to get around somehow. But <laughs> I'm working. I'm working on getting my license at the minute. They make it very hard. Let me tell you, Sam. It's, I'm, I'm losing sleep over how hard it is to get my car registered and get a damn driving test booked in it's yeah it's, it's not i'm not happy but i bought the car that's that's the main thing well you got the car that's good it sounds like you got a few yeah, hoops to, to jump through there so yeah. I, I did note also the hampton cricket club the first grade they're zipping four uh to start the season i yeah. i'm told uh that they would definitely be missing your express pace and and some of that big hitting that yeah. you provide late in the innings yeah that's right yeah, if I was there, they would. They'd be four and zip. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I love that confidence. Clearly, they, they pick it up. Yeah. Clearly, clearly, that American swag is rubbing off on you, mate. Uh, magnificent. <laughs> well, we wish you well. That, this is a big game Sunday, our time against uh, Duke, as we said. Hopefully, results go your way in the remainder of the season, mate, and you can get into some of those big sure. bowl games. And it's uh, as I said earlier off the top, great to be living through you and your experiences over there. These these are great times. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Good on you. Tom McGuinness there off the text. Great to hear from an Aussie living his dream in the US. I love love those stories. A lot of Aussies doing it now, but um, we thought we'd uh, we have a, a mutual friend here in, uh, in Ethan arranging our chats with, with Tom McGuinness, which is great. Um, as if you would know anything about college football off the text. Well, no, I'm not overly familiar, but that's why we got Tom. Who does? I played at high school football back in the day back in the late 90s in Arizona, but never anything on the college front. But that was an interesting year, interesting season playing uh, high school football over there. Different, different game. And those pads, I found out, and helmets aren't used to protect oneself. They're actually used as a weapon in many ways. Um, We'll keep our conversations going with Tom as uh, hopefully the rest of this season unfolds. A uh, flight center's big red sale is on now, by the way. Limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. You can uh, book now to save big. The OMF big, big spring sale is on now, up to 60% off selected mattresses. Right, we'll take a break. It'll be our final break. I know Julian Stoop is up with Midday Madness at a 12, and we've left a Ron Barassi State Memorial Service with Julian. So he'll be bringing you all the audio from the MCG. Uh, Lee Matthews speaking at the moment, and if the text from you are anything to go by, it's a really nice memorial service for Ron Barassi. So Julian will bring you some of the sights and sounds from the MCG when he joins us after midday. We'll be back to tidy up. Hand over to Julio on the other side. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. And the Captain's Run has been for State Transport. Our people are your solution. Great to take your calls on the open line as well. one 736 736 40 Wings temper text 0433981116. We spoke to Mitch Creek. George and Anscorn at the Bombers as well, ahead of the finals there. Rene Muhlenstein, great to chat to him. Uh, the Socceroos World Cup qualification uh, phase is about to begin again for 2026. Bryce McGain set the scene for us. World Cup semifinals over 
over there in India and to close our catch-up uh, on campus at North Carolina with the punter there, Tom McGuinness. If you missed some or all of those, they are podcasted uh, as is the norm at sen.com.au. As I welcome in uh, the Mayor of Midday Madness. Uh, <laughs> Dwayne's not back. Surrogate Mayor. Uh, Julian DeStoop is here. Julio, the welcome. Vice, the Vice Captain of uh, Midday Madness. Won't be a lot of Midday Madness today because what we're going to do is we're going to play a lot of audio mm. from Ron Barassi's uh, State Memorial Service. Kevin Sheedy has spoken in recent times. Lee Matthews, uh, Ron's son. Uh, Andy McGuire had some great words to say at the start. So we'll play all that. We'll get some reaction off the back of 1 o'clock. Maybe some of your favourite memories of Ron Barassi as well. And also, just off the back of uh, Johnny Millman's retirement. Yes. You know, back on, in the Bob and Andy days, we used to have the Mun. That's it. Well, we're going to have Squeezeman today. Squeeze every last squeezed drop. squeezed every oh. last drop. And Ron Barassi the same. I've heard Ron say he wasn't the best kick. He wasn't the best at this and that and that. But Squeezeman. Squeezeman. So which athletes have just squeezed Absolutely everything out of their God-given abilities. I love that. Uh, and uh, had a good career for themselves. Now, just on uh, the Bombers you mentioned there, you're a rational man. Uh, the girls beat Geelong on Sunday. Finals drought over. No, it doesn't count. One club, mate. They're writing their One own history. Club. The women wouldn't One have it like club. that. club. They wouldn't want it like that. They're creating their own history, and that's worth, that's worth celebrating for now. One Second club. season in the comp. And they might win a final. The well, men, however, is well, a different story. If they win, I want to see days since Essendon won a final Twitter no. account shut. I think that is raging like never before, to be honest. But I hope for <laughs> your sake it comes to an end um, in uh, in the next season. Hey, no, you um, don't. No, I don't. No, no I do. No, um, listen, just with Ron Barassi as well, yep. as was pointed out, 31 degrees today. That sort good? of Twilight Zone mm-hmm. stuff. And the 10th of November, of course, six as a player, I think it was, four as That's a right. coach, ten flags for him as well. What, what are your, what's your first memory of Ron Barassi? Obviously, we're too young to see Give him me play. possessions and I'll shut up. Oh, he said the audio? Yeah. You know what I remember? I remember he was on the Sports World footy panel on a Sunday morning. Ron was, and his commentary on 3AW. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm. Remember the commentary? Yeah. Yep. And a lovely fella too, as I said earlier. You could catch up with him in a, in a yep. setting and he wouldn't know who you were and mm. why would he? but was always engaging and always happy to talk. Speaking of engaging, I know you're a big fan of Jurgen Klopp, as am I, for his ability to entertain. He's lost it. He's lost it this morning. We'll play you this audio. For good reason. Absolutely. So they lost this morning. uh, Tough loss. To Toulouse. 3-2. Well, they thought they had the equaliser. did. It was a a frantic match. So he's doing his post-match in a media tent (laughs) outside the venue in Toulouse and is drowned out by the singing of the... Very happy to lose supporters. There's and drums and there's banging. He's not a big fan of whoever decided to put the media conference there. That no, was very funny, actually. So it was very, very funny. good. So yeah. we'll play the audio, but uh, not happy and fair enough. He breaks mid uh, answer to ask the question, doesn't he? Imagine we, did a, imagine we did a press conference outside the MCG and all the Collingwood fans were just huddling around the losing coach. Well, you know, over in the West, their press conference is done yes. in a social it's area. dangerous. With glass. People bang on the glass and everything. And after a full match on the... Uh, on the uh, on the juice, <laughs> they can get a little feisty over there. <laughs> uh, haven't had good reason to do that of late. Feisty their own coach. But when they're up and going, absolutely. It's a bit walking into a zoo enclosure after the time over there. Absolutely dangerous. Julian Stoops up next. Midday Madness.